0: we mentioned, we start a new sermon series, a focus for this week, Holy Week, all things new. And you're joining with us today on Palm Sunday. On Friday evening, we'll have a Good Friday service, and you can actually join us either here in person, and there's a sign up for that on the website, or um, you can be able to watch in online depending on what your schedule is for Friday. But we're going to uh, celebrate in um, receiving communion together on Good Friday, Friday night. And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we'll celebrate our resurrected Savior together. But as we enter into this uh, Holy Week and we look at this promise of all things new, we First, just remembering um, that the, the message of all things new is something that is all throughout the scriptures. In the original uh, writing of the, the New Testament, it was written mostly in Greek. There's a word that gets used in the Greek that's this, this idea of God recreating or making things new, and that word is palagencia. and what it means is it's actually a combination word, two words put together, and it actually literally means the beginning again. And so what we see is in the scriptures, there are these places where the the scripture writers point to this idea of God making the beginning happen again. Almost this idea of like a return back to this idea of the the Garden of Eden and this close relationship with um, God to God's people. And, And one of the examples of that is in Titus chapter three, where the scripture writer says, but when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life. That's that word there, new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is, again, in this season of Easter, what was meant for death, the cross, the tomb, is actually a place where new life begins again. Where where the beginning is happening again. And that the promise of Jesus is that it will continue to happen over and over and over in our hearts and our lives.
1: Jesus was also uh, through the work leading up to the cross. That's what we're gonna look at today is just a couple of different stories and examples of part of the new that God was bringing through Christ Jesus was not simply uh, new life. uh, And that would have been enough, but there was also an additional new that Jesus was bringing. And we're gonna see that today as we look at these stories is that he was really tearing down the old um, to bring a new way of belonging to God. He was tearing down the old uh, way, religious, ways the old religious laws um, to bring a new way of loving the religious law was being torn down to to resurrect something that was fresh something that was beautiful something that would become inclusive rather than exclusive um, but we want to read in Isaiah chapter 43 verses 18 through 19 it uh, says but forget all of that and what the prophet Isaiah is saying here if you read earlier in the chapter in chapter 43 he's talking about the the miracles and the things that God did for the Israelites he parted the Red Sea and he, he rescued them out of che- Egypt. Um, but Isaiah here is saying, but forget all of that because it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The prophet Isaiah is, is speaking to the new covenant. He's urging the people of Israel to, to see that God was doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see what God is doing here? He is creating life, bringing renewal out of wilderness, wasteland, out of um, the, the current existence of, of what they were in. And Isaiah is urging them to forget the former things. Um, Not because God did amazing things in the former things, but don't don't live in the past. Don't dwell on just those things that God did before, but believe and see that God is doing something fresh and God is doing something new and that God would fulfill his promises and keep his covenant with his people. So God sends Jesus as the new life and the new way. That was part of the new thing that God was doing, that he sent Jesus, the one who would bring new life, not just for the Israelites and not just for the people then, but for us now. That in the midst of our barrenness, in the midst of our wastelands, in the midst of our wilderness, God was sending Jesus to be the the rescuer and to fulfill the promise of God, the promise that we will not remain broken forever. Even though it may feel like it sometimes, that we will not live in darkness forever, that there is a new dawn, there is a new light, a new morning, that it rises up through Christ Jesus, and the fact that God is always doing a new thing, and that God is, as Pastor Brad said, is this continual renewal in the work of Christ. And so we see many moments of Jesus as it as he walks towards the cross, this progression, where we see this symbolic nature through the stories that are told and through the way of Jesus, a symbolic nature that Jesus is clearly bringing, again, something new. And so today we want to highlight three specific ones. There's so many, but today we want to highlight three specific ones. So in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. This kind of sets the stage for uh, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, and there's praises from the people, and yet there's skepticism and resistance from the ultra-religious There was these religious people, the the Pharisees, that could not comprehend the new way and the new thing that God was bringing through Christ Jesus. And we've talked about this before at Essence Place, the way that Jesus defies expectation, the scandalous nature of Jesus that challenges over and over again this perspective of old and default patterns and views And what we see here is something so simple and practical, but it's so profound because Jesus chooses to make his entrance on a donkey rather than something grand. Jesus the Messiah on a donkey. So I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11 to just kind of set this for us. It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, because I'm sure it was a little strange, <laughs> just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. At least they threw the garments over the colt and he just didn't sit on the bear colt's back. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Most of the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
0: So what we see happening here is, is so highly symbolic. And even in Matthew's text, he's, he's grabbing on these elements of things that are are being shown as the fulfillment of, of the ancient scriptures, of this prophetic moment that's being brought into the, the this moment where Jesus is entering Jerusalem. But then if we stop and we take it in, we realize that, um, yeah, he's, he's riding in on a donkey and it feels so backward and upside down. And there's symbolic nature in that. And, and we recognize too that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is the moment where it's, it's his death march. He's, he's entering Jerusalem and it's setting up Holy Week. It's setting up the days that are going to come ahead of Jesus uh, freely and fully giving his life. And yet he's surrounded by a crowd of people. And you think about in this crowd of people that are there, you have Jesus, you have his followers, you have um, the crowd that's singing his praises, you have the religious leaders who are apprehensive and are threatened and recognized. There's some, some symbolic things that are happening here. And there's children that are in the crowd and they're singing praises. And it's it's such a powerful moment. And, and because it was happening in and around Passover, there was more people in Jerusalem. There were crowds that were there and people were seeing this this moment unfold of the Jesus that maybe they had heard rumored about. That now he's actually entering and walking into Jerusalem, and so even for his disciples, they've walked the last three years with Jesus. Like they, they've heard him teach, they've seen him do miracles, they've been taught by him, so that then they can go and they can do miracles. And yet, I still don't even think in all of that uh, life together—you know, eating, sleeping, living together—all of it and performing these miracles together—that they would have even been able to fully understand and see what's happening here. And so. In, in this we realize that um it's it's very easy for us, because we know the story, to understand, know what's coming next. And yet for his followers and those that are there, they're, they're not fully understanding all that's um, unfolding and all that's happening. And with it, you know, they're, they're bringing in, you know, the, the, still the old ways of living, the old ways of doing things, the old expectations. And in some ways, you know, this is where, this is what connects to what Isaiah was talking about of, you know, behold, I, I'm doing a new thing, like something new is happening in and among you. And this asking, like, can't you feel it? Can't you see it? Can't you perceive it? And yet, as God's shaking all of this up, it's kind of like they're missing the fullness of what is actually happening. And it's all happening through this man through the one that was fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ. The one that the scriptures call the son of David or, or the son of man or son of God. And so with that, you know, we see that this fulfillment that's coming and as Jesus is doing a new thing, there's there's something that we want to highlight as we look at this in Matthew 21. And we're going to break down these few verses and look at three things that um, we can bring out of this to, to see that even applies to our lives here and now. So let's look at this as we see the way that God was working through the world then, and God continues to work through the world now. But number one, what we see is that Jesus uses the common for the sacred. You know, great things are accomplished through what seems like little to the world. And so you have Jesus riding in on a donkey, what seems common, a work animal, Jesus the son of God is riding into Jerusalem and the people are singing the praises but those that are walking with him are not walking you know in armor his followers his disciples are not walking in armor they're not wearing you know bright robes and gowns these are common people fishermen you know people who would have you know normal day laboring type jobs and yet they've walked with Jesus we see Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem the people that are singing his praises are not the religious leaders that say okay aha now this is the time It's children. It's women and men singing praises to God, waving those palm branches, throwing their coats on the ground. And so in this moment, what we see Jesus doing is it's once again, he takes what seems so common and he uses it for a sacred purpose. He uses it for a God-honoring, a holy purpose. And in so many ways, it's the ways that that Jesus had already lived his life, where in his years of ministry, who was he eating with? Those that were the outcasts those that were considered unclean. He's touching those that are unclean and healing them. He's having conversations with, a, with the Samaritan woman at the well that he shouldn't have been in conversation with. And, and so it's can this continual revealing that Jesus is doing of saying, don't you see how the old way and the, the expectations that you have, I'm defying all of them. And in doing so, he's doing it to show that there is a new thing and a new way that God desires to relate to God's people And it's happening through Jesus Christ. And so it's over and over again. Jesus goes out of his way to show the love of God revealed in a new and fresh way. And he is embodying that. I mean, even a little later, we see in the Passover meal, what does Jesus do? He takes bread, something so common, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. And it becomes sacred. He takes the cup that they would have been drinking from and enjoying the meal from. And he says, this is my blood that's going to be poured out. And he he takes, again, these... These symbols of things that seem so within reach and tangible, and he uses them for a sacred purpose. And he does the same thing in us, and that's what I love. I mean, that's one of the things that I think in thinking of um, all things being made new in this Easter season is the fact that I am so thankful that me, as common, as, as just human as I am, God desires to work through me. And the same is true for you, that God takes what seems common and he uses it for sacred and holy purposes. And that's what God's doing in us. So that's number one. But then number two, what's really important here, and we see this in the next few verses, is that Jesus is centering the kingdom of God rather than even centering himself. Rather than putting himself at the center of of everything that's happening, he's centering the kingdom of God and he's showing us that in the same way, rather than centering ourselves, We're supposed to be centering God in our story. And so when we we move into the temple, and we're going to see this in the next few verses, Jesus, he enters into Jerusalem. And then the next thing is he's in the temple, a sacred place, a holy place. But you know what he discovers there? The very things that were supposed to be sacred were being used in profane ways, ways that dishonored God. Ways that actually held people at a distance and pushed people out. Look at this with me. It's such a drastic difference to the way that Jesus is working. But in Matthew chapter 12, or chapter 21, picking it up in verse number 12, so he's just entered in and the people are singing his praises. And then the very next thing, Jesus enters the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, The scriptures declare. My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, one of the things that we can immediately grab onto here is that Jesus expressed some anger, which is kind of nice because sometimes I get angry too. <laughs> but we're going to call Jesus' anger a righteous, holy, indignation anger, right? Um But God has made us whole and complete people and our emotions and all that we are and all that um, God has given us. It's important to feel and be connected with. And I think that's part of what Jesus is revealing here is he enters into this place that was supposed to be a sacred place and he sees something different happening. Let me explain a little bit of the the setup of the the temple court. And I'm not going to go professor mode. I'll I'll keep this very short. But the the temple is called Herod's Temple in the time that that, um, Jesus, his death um, happened. And if you go back, you know, you can tell ancient, they've got history, they've got pictures of the temple. But the temple had different courts, think kind of like almost like concentric rings or circles that move from the exterior outer to the inner. And so the most inner place, the most sacred holy place was the place where God's presence Dwelled, where the, the high priest only entered once a year, and it was the most secret, sacred holy of holies. And then immediately outside of that was the inner court, and that was the place that if you were ethnically Jewish, you were allowed to enter into that place. And when the temple was built, Herod's temple built, um, there was inscriptions put on the outside of the, the wall that separated the outer court from the inner court. And so there was this outside court that was the, the court of the Gentiles, they called it. And these inscriptions that, that separated the wall, the inner court from the outer court, said that anyone that entered into this place that was not Jewish could be put to death. So, I mean, this is like already some tension here of keeping people in and keeping people out and like who's allowed in and who's not allowed in. And yet what was supposed to be happening, and this is where this action with Jesus takes place, where he's turning the tables over, is in this outer court space. Where there's been this setup of a, of a market, where um, in the temple structure, in the temple system, the religious leaders and the people looking to, you know, make some money said, you know what we could do here? Well, because the inner is so holy and so sacred, we're not going to allow, you know, the outsiders, those that aren't Jewish, in but will allow them to still come and make sacrifice. And that was part of the point and the reason of the, the Jewish people was to be this display of God to the world and, and to actually be a way for people to encounter and know God, Yahweh. And yet what they had created in this system and the structure with Tables set up and and buying animals for sacrifice and having to exchange that dirty Roman money for, you know, sacred holy temple treasury money and exchange right there and people making money under the table because of all of that is actually a system where they're excluding, they're holding people off. The, the cost and the expense of buying an animal for sacrifice or exchanging money was so high that it was prohibitive to people, to the common people. And so I think when Jesus entered this space, he, he maybe wasn't so um, angry and, and, and upset with just the surface level the business that was happening, but actually what was happening underneath, where a place where Yahweh, God, was supposed to be encountered and, and people should have been able to enter in, Jewish or not, um, and invited in, he finds instead this whole system of excluding, of, of, of marginalizing those that already would not have had. And, and, and would have been withholding people. And so he comes in and he starts to purge and he drives out and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. It's like Jesus finally comes to the point where he's like, all these barriers, all of this exclusion, enough, it's done. And we see this told through Jesus' story in the next few days as the Passover meal happens, as, as Jesus is entering into the garden and arrested and put to death, that what Jesus is doing as he has taken down some literal barriers as he kicks over the tables and as he calls out what is happening here. But then he starts to bring down those spiritual barriers that have been erected between God and God's people. The the barriers that have been set up between those that were considered outsiders, you know, the Gentiles, those that would not have been invited in. And actually said, these will be a people And I am here for all people, to bring all people into relationship with God. And so we have to realize in this making all things new, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, the way that you know things, the way that things have been working, I am the fulfillment of that what the law could not do, it's now happening through me and who I am. And between his death and his resurrection, it is the ultimate display of God making all things new. And that's what he desires to continue to do in us. Number three, and I'm going to move through this quickly, is um, number three, Jesus does something new through people who are yielded and surrendered. And we put that something new in quotes, because really it's, it could just be a blank. Like Jesus does fill in the blank. Jesus does things through people who are yielded and surrendered. And this is what's so beautiful about Jesus' presence here. He rides in on a donkey. He, he, he purges the temple. He, he calls out the, the um, barriers that have been uh, resurrected in front of people, put up in front of people that were excluding and holding people out. And then in Matthew 21, verse 14, the scripture says this. And again, this is immediately following, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and even heard children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. And how did the leaders respond? The leaders were indignant. They were threatened. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? It's like saying like, you've caused them to say these things. Your actions, your behavior have caused the kids to start talking like this. And Jesus replied, and I love it. He says, haven't you ever read the scriptures? Well, yeah, of course. No doubt. They've read the scriptures. They're the ones who memorized it since they were kids. And then he quotes the scriptures to them and says, for the scriptures say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. What Jesus is doing here is these religious leaders are so indignant as he's showing you are missing it. You can't even see it. The same Jesus who welcomed the children close, who welcomed the, the lame end that he's healing, the blind that he's healing, he welcomes them close. They can feel it. They can sense it on a deep spiritual level that there is something in the person of Jesus that they desperately need. And as they encounter Jesus, what is he doing? He's making all things new. He's healing the blind; those that were that were lame, that they um, needed a healing touch from him. He's healing, and the children. I love it because kids are just kids; they're running around and they're singing. And what are they singing? They're singing the scriptures that they had learned and been learning as children, but they're singing it as praises to Jesus. And so I think this is what we need to capture in our hearts: is that Jesus works to remove power, privilege, pride. He works through humility. He works through simplicity. So whether it's a a child, you know, an infant, or you know, those that society deems less than, maybe it's a donkey, Jesus is working through it and Jesus' power is revealing that God works to make all things new, and he does it through those that are yielded, those that are surrendered. We talked about it before, those that are approaching God with hands open, palms open, with a with a pride released and surrendered, that humbly admit their need. Those that are willing to approach God without pretense, that live in a way of humility, and so in all of that, it's like Jesus' heart is is wide open. He's knows he knows what's about to come next in Holy Week. He knows what is. Um, he's going to have to lead his followers, his disciples, through as he begins to explain what's about to unfold. But in this moment now, I have to I have to believe he sat back and he smiled, because those that should have known, the religious ones. They're confused, they're mad, they're angry, they're so furious, they're indignant. And those that, by cultural standards, should have had no clue are the ones that are coming and they're experiencing something new already through Jesus Christ.
1: It's so good, right? <laughs> it's so good. Just to like, just like when we really, really slow down and we think about um, the way of Jesus and how counter it is to our way. How counter it is to our culture, how counter it is to our world. Like, that's just what I'm sitting here thinking about as Brad is talking is that that is just so counter you know we we are a world that creates all kinds of categories. <laughs> we have got so many lines and so many categories and and we do it both in the church and we do it outside of the church, but Jesus is the one that washes it all away and there's only one thing that he's looking for and it's that a person that accepts his his invitation. It's a person that responds to his invitation to belong, a person that responds to his invitation to the love that he offers, that he doesn't pick and choose who he approaches. He doesn't pick and choose who he gathers near. He doesn't pick and choose who he actually walks to, but that it's just simply a continual invitation extended. Will you come? Will you draw near? Will you accept what I have to offer? Will you accept the love, the the new life, the new way? And I think about, you know, the will you see it later in the Passover, but you see it when he draws the the disciples to the table, you know, before, um, as he breaks bread with them and and in that kind of first moment of communion. And when you look at the people that were gathered at that table, it was all kinds of people. It was all um, people that were in different places. It was people who would betray him. It was people who would deny him. It was people who would doubt him. It was people who honestly would not necessarily accept the invitation letter and yet you see Jesus kneeling down and washing their feet and serving them and loving them. And so when we think about ourselves and the new thing that God is doing and the new way that he, he is bringing into, um, he's brought into our world and he continues to bring into our world, it's the realization that, that a huge part of that new is that Jesus gathers everyone at the table while we oftentimes push people from the table. And we got to sit with that. And we got to set with that in our world over the last year of, of the wasteland in a sense that we have encountered over the last year, the wilderness that we have been walking in over the last year, the barrenness that we have been experiencing over the last year is that Jesus is showing up now again in our lives and saying, I'm doing a new thing. God is shaking some things up from what we've experienced or your own wasteland or your own barrenness, your own wilderness. And the question is, is will we perceive it? Will we shift our perspective? Will we adjust our focus? All that Jesus needs is a heart that chooses that to accept that invitation. And while religion would have prohibited children to come, religion would have prohibited, honestly, most of us in this room to come. <laughs> it would have prohibited me, just based off of my attitude yesterday, you know, in a, in a moment of a day. It would have prohibited me to come, but Jesus still welcomes us near. So the question is, though, is God is doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do I perceive it? Can I, can I see it? And so, so there's barriers that we all have in our life. Jesus comes in and he flips over the tables, the barriers that were being erected at that time. Jesus comes in and visits the Samaritan woman at the well, and he went through and around and over the barriers that you don't travel to Samaria, but he traveled on purpose to Samaria to visit a woman at a well. And John chapter four is that story. And Jesus meets that woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he goes over the barriers. And then in him going over the barriers to encounter that woman and talk to that woman, he positions her and empowers her to then overcome her own barriers and go share the message of the Messiah. So what barriers are in our life that Jesus is moving around and over and under to get through to us, but what barriers are in us that we need to see? Is it, the, is it, is it that we feel like we are not worthy? Is it that we, we are afraid of what he will ask of us? Is it that we feel like he will not accept us? Is it that we simply do not have the faith that he'll receive us? Is it pride that's, that struggles to humble itself to a place of need, to actually come to a place to say, yeah, I actually need Jesus. Like I'm desperate for Jesus. I can't figure this thing out on my own. In the end, Jesus just calls us to come, and then when we come, we find belonging. And yes, we will discover transformation as well because Jesus offers us to come as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. But ultimately, We experience that new life in that new way when we come to Jesus. The desire that God is wanting to make all things new in our life right now in this moment, in this time, in this season of our world. God is doing something new. Can we perceive it? Can we see it? Can we notice it? Are we stuck in the old? Are we stuck in the former? I think about church ministry. If we get stuck in the former, we're going to miss the new thing that God is doing in ministry in the church. I think about the way that we interact with our neighbors. If we get stuck in the old ways, we're going to miss the new that God is inviting us into to love our neighbor and to be present with our neighbor no matter what our neighbor looks like, no matter what our neighbor believes, no matter what our neighbor lives like. It doesn't matter because we're called to love them. Will we miss it? I think about The transformation that God calls to us, the things that we talk about here at Essence Place, the transformation from the inside out—that we don't really focus on behavior modification because we believe that as we look at Scripture, that God transforms us and changes us from the inside out. But will we miss that because we won't simply humble ourselves to come to Jesus and let Him change us from the inside out? So many new things that God is doing in our life, and God is wanting to flip over the tables, and He's wanting to uncover the barriers, and He's wanting to call us. to, to repentance. He's wanting to, to simplify things and bring us back to the basics of faith. He's calling us to stop centering our selfishness and our perspective over what God is doing in this world, and he's calling us to center the work of God, the redemptive work of God in this world. Out of the wasteland, God is promising to bring us new life, to bring us good gifts that are based on his purposes and not our own purposes. God is calling us to surrender and in that surrender find great joy and peace as he fulfills the purposes of our life. To see our hearts purified leading to a humble and a pure faith. So on Today at the Palm Sunday, as we prepare our hearts for Holy Week and we reflect and and we consider, we have a responsibility to examine our hearts, to look and see if there are any barriers that we have erected in our lives that, that, that keep us from simply experiencing God, not because God can't get through those barriers to come to us because he already has, but because we have got to let him remove the barriers for us to see him as he desires for us to see him. And experience Him. So, Brad, do you want to go to the piano? Okay. Or do you want to turn music on? Okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking. Okay. <sighs> okay. We just want to take a moment, and I'm just kind of like I'm thinking in my heart right now, and, and and feeling in my heart, like we just want to take a moment to pray. We just want to take a moment to to just to be God's presence is here. Like He's speaking. He's speaking. There are things that God has put in your heart. There are purposes, there are dreams, there are promises. There are promises that God has given you. Maybe it was when you were a child, maybe it was when you were a teenager, maybe it's been when you were an adult and you're growing weary to see those promises fulfilled. God is doing a new thing. it's hard to see it when we're waiting for promises to be fulfilled but I have found that if I will just shift my perspective and adjust my perspective that I often see that God is in fact answering, God is in fact responding in his way, in his time God removes all barriers and obstacles and hindrances and he removes all excuses to make room for the new that he wants to bring in our lives. But we know that we have to say yes. God is not force, God is not push. So we choose to become an active participant. And we have to realize that we can't keep. For those of us that want to accept that, for those of us that want to be engaged in that, for those of us that want to accept that invitation that he offers, we have to realize that we cannot keep doing and responding in the same ways because we're going to get the same results over and over again. That we have to actually remove the pride. Ask God, help us to remove the pride. And we have to give up. Give up our way. Give up our our preference. Give up our understanding. For the disciples to be able to perceive and understand the new that Jesus was bringing, they would have had to set aside their perspective. They would have had to give up what they thought Jesus was looking like or what Jesus was fulfilling and doing. So what new thing is God calling you to? What new thing is God doing in your life? And he's lovingly challenging you to shift your perspective and see what he is doing in your life. What new way is God doing in our world? I can list a whole bunch of things, but ultimately we need to see the new that God is bringing in our world, the new ways what do we need to do to shift our perspective to address the barriers we just want to give you a few moments this morning to sit with God to reflect and consider the ways that he has gone over and through and busted up the barriers and obstacles to reach you and then to consider how will I respond? And then secondly, I am confident in my spirit and in my heart that for each one of you that is watching this, for each one of you that's in this room, God's doing some new stuff. He's got some new promises, some fresh goodness and gifts and joy that he's bringing into your life, but you might have to shift some things, shift some perspective, lay down some pride to be able to see it and embrace it. I'm making a way in the wilderness, do you not perceive it? Forget the former and see the new that I am doing. Can we take a moment this morning?